Thank you, brother. It's always good to be at Grace Fellowship and get to worship with friends and to make some new friends. And so I want to echo Happy Father's Day to you dads in the room. Um, I have a friend who makes the observation, maybe accusation, that on Mother's Day, preachers talk about how virtuous and wonderful and glorious mothers are. And on Father's Day, preachers talk about what rascals dads are and how they need to man up, okay? So that's not what I'm going to do today. I want to continue in this uh, series on Proverbs, but kind of as a jumping off point, I want us to begin in the book of James. So if you take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4, we will quickly make a mad dash to Proverbs, but I want to kind of use this as our stopping off point or starting off point. James chapter 4 and verse 6. I know I'm jumping in the middle of a thought here, but uh, James says in verse 6, But he gives more grace, therefore it says, that is the scriptures, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want to speak to you today on grace for the humble. Grace for the humble. Proverbs talks so much about humility. It also talks a lot about um, humility's virtual arch nemesis, pride. No no pun intended, or maybe there is a pun intended there. Uh, Virtual or virtuous arch enemy. Uh, We can't think about humility without thinking about pride. And um, Proverbs gives us the opportunity to think through both of those. In, in, the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are about 10 different words that the Bible uses for pride or proud. In uh, the New Testament, there are at least six words, different words, that are translated pride or proud in our Bibles. The book of Proverbs uses several of those Hebrew words in translating Pride, proud, humble, humility. And so this morning we want to consider this virtue of humility and we want to kind of look at it because we almost have to uh, look at it over the vista or from the vantage point of also considering the sin of pride. Uh, So I hope that makes sense. We'll get a better understanding of what God intends for us to do when he tells us to walk in humility when we understand the opposite of that is to walk in in pride. And so we're kind of going to be walking a dual track through the book of Proverbs uh, today as we understand the humility that God wants us to have and the pride that God wants us to shun. I heard about a guy that said, if there's one thing that I'm better at than everybody else, it's humility. So if that's you today, I want to make sure that uh, we are uh, on the same page. So let's begin by, by talking about some definitions. What is pride? And what is humility? Let me, let me give you uh, what I think is a helpful definition. Pride in its, in its simplest form is idolatry. And it's really uh, idolatry of me, right? It is when I put myself at the center and as the center of my world, when it's all about me, right? That's what pride is. And um, pride is me wanting to protect that space and protect that place that everything is about me. I'm at the center. I'm in the center. I am the center of my existence. Pride is my own self-admiration of me. In addition, pride is also uh, a sense of independence from God. I've got this. I don't need him. I can do this myself. I can do this my way. And so instead of pursuing the glory of God, we're pursuing the glory of self. Instead of pursuing God's will and God's ways, we are pursuing our own will and our own ways. But I also want to be careful to to try to explain what pride is not. Because we can make some mistakes in thinking about the sin of pride. Pride is not what I would call a healthy self-respect. You can have a healthy self-respect and not be proud. For example, you can take, uh, what do we say, uh, take pride in your appearance. 
Now, that does not mean that we dress in such an ostentatious way as to draw undue attention to ourselves. That is a form of pride. But, but a healthy self-respect in our, when it comes to taking pride in our appearance means that we are neat and appropriate and modest and, and as best we can be, attractive. Some of us struggle with that more than others. But um, uh, it is, you know, it's not humble to walk around looking like an unmade, unmade bed. Okay, that's just sloppiness, right? And so there's nothing humble about that. And so we talk about uh, a healthy self-respect or uh, taking pride in our appearance. Uh, pride is also not receiving honor when honor is due to you. For example, the, the Olympic athlete that wins the gold medal, it's not pride to stand on the medal stand and to receive that gold medal around their neck. It's not, it's not pride to to receive honor that is due to you. Maybe as um, uh, a student, a scholar, a valedictorian, to, to be awarded um, some of the academic awards that you get at graduation, uh, uh, magna cum laude and summa cum laude. I graduated summa cum later, but, but that was uh, just by the skin of my teeth, okay? But, but it's, there's nothing wrong with receiving those kind of uh, accolades and, and honors that are due to those that have earned them. We talk about taking pride in our work. Now, if, we're, if we mean by that, that we're conscientious, we want to do a job well, we want to create a product that is quality or provide a service that is exceptional. It's, it's not a matter of pride. If we're doing it, we can do that for the glory of God and for the service of others. So when we talk about pride, we're not talking about a healthy self-respect. We're not talking about conscientiousness in our work. We're not talking about the appropriate way to receive honor. What we're talking about is when it all becomes about me and I am at the center and I am the center of my life. What about humility? How would we define humility? It's really the opposite of that. Somebody said that humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's really thinking of ourselves less. <laughs> And so humility is when I am not putting myself, uh, but instead God is the center and at the center of my life, and therefore I'm trying to live my life to serve Him and to serve others. That's humility. Before we go to Proverbs, let me just take you to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, and beginning in verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. We could say pride there, couldn't we? But, he says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What a great way to describe what humility really is. Well, where did, where did pride come from? Have you ever thought about that? Well, the Bible actually answers that for us in the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14, I promise we're going to get the Proverbs, but Isaiah 14, God asks and answers a question. Here's the question he asks and answers. How did the devil become the devil? We see the answer to that in Isaiah 14. Have you ever wondered that? How did the devil become the devil? Well, in Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, God asks the question, How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? And then he answers, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a, like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? Lucifer was the most beautiful creature that God had made. The Bible says that he, his appearance was, was gleaming and glittering like diamonds, that he was the wisest of all creatures and one day, Lucifer, the star of the morning, said, I am so wise, I am so cunning, I am so beautiful, I should be God. 
And he sought to lift himself above the very throne of heaven. Isaiah says that one day when we see the devil and we look at him, we're going to say, really? That was the one that um, made the earth tremble? That was the one who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew? Had there been no pride, there would have been no devil. It was pride that caused Lucifer, the star of the morning, to become Satan, the prince of darkness. It was the sin of pride. And because of that, pride has been called the fount or the mother of all other sins. I mean, think about it. Racism, hatred, deceit, greed, anger, apathy, a host of other sins flow from and flow out of the sin of pride. But not only was Satan's sin rooted in pride, but man's sin was rooted in pride. Do you remember that story in Genesis chapter 3 where Satan or the serpent came to Eve and said, did God really say you can't eat of any of these trees? And she said, no, 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 no. He didn't say that. But the tree that's in the midst of the garden, he told us we can't eat of that tree. And then in Genesis 3 verse 4, the Bible says, the serpent said to the woman, uh, you will not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and, watch this, you will be like God. Isn't that what he wanted in Isaiah chapter 14? Was to set himself up as God? He says to Eve, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. What was the temptation here for Eve? It was not to snack on an apple. (laughs) That was not the temptation here. Notice that the temptation was not for her to be ungodly. The temptation was for her to be like God. That was the temptation. The Apostle John summarizes these, these temptations for us when he says, talks about the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the, the pride of life. It's exactly what Genesis means here when it says that she saw that it was good for food, the lust of the eyes and the delight, or, or the lust of the flesh, and that it was delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree that was to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life, that she would be like God. Where did pride come from? Pride came from Satan's fall, and pride was the sin that caused man's fall in the Garden of Eden. Well, how, how pervasive is this sin of pride? I would submit to you this morning that all of us are born into this world wanting to be God. <laughs> Maybe not God with a capital G, but certainly the God of our own lives, of our own world, um, uh, to be the center of our existence, to, for it to all be about us. I mean, even this is true even of a little baby, isn't it? Coming forth from the womb, everything is about me. Feed me, change me, hold me. Uh, everything is, is, comes uh, as we come into this world. We come with that, that sin of pride. And one of the problems about the sin of pride is it's so subtle and it's so deceitful. We don't even realize it when we are proud. I heard of a man that they gave him a medal for his humility and then they took it away when he wore it. <laughs> so <laughs> pride, can be a, pride can be a subtle and deceitful thing, can it? Pride is me wanting to be God of my world. Not over the entire universe, but just my own life. To do things for my glory, to do things my way without regard for God's glory or God's will or, or God's way. Now, the truth is we live in a day where pride has been elevated. We admire athletes that talk smack to their opponents. We like the celebratory touchdown dance in the end zone, don't we? We like that in your face, I'm better than you. We like it in our politics when political rhetoric is filled and steeped in pride. And now in our American culture, we have even declared the month of June to be Pride Month. So that sin that once slinked down the back alley now struts down the main street. 
and it's because of the sin of pride. I watched this week a live stream of a denomination's annual meeting, and I heard the pastor of the largest church in that denomination stand and boast about how large his church was, how many members they have, how many people they've baptized, how many churches they've planted, how many pastors they've trained. And it was, it was like me, 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 me. I hear that there is a, a bird in certain parts of the tropics called the Mimi bird. And do you know why they're called the Mimi bird? Because they only have one song. And it sounds like this. Mimi. 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 That's all they ever say. Mimi. Now, I've never seen one. At least, I've never seen one with feathers. I think I've met a lot of them in churches around. around. But uh, um, we, we live in a world where humility is not on display. Our pride is on display. How... How passive is the, uh, or how pervasive is the sin of pride? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said that pride is a weed that can grow on any rock. He said pride is as likely to be in the heart of a shoe black as an alderman. He said that pride is a weed that can easily grow in the pulpit. And we who are preachers have to constantly be pulling up that weed of pride in our hearts. Our, um, our students at the Bible college have to wrestle with this. They are, they are reading some pretty profound theologians. They are studying some uh, amazing uh, truths. They are learning a lot, and the academics at our college are rigorous, to say the least. But if they're not careful, they can fall victim to the warning that the Bible gives when it says that knowledge puffs up, right? And so as theological students, they must guard their hearts against the sin of pride. That's why, that's why the Apostle Paul in the book of Timothy says, listen, when you're installing an elder, when you're installing a new pastor, don't put somebody in there that is a novice, or some of your Bibles say a new convert, uh, somebody that is young, somebody that's immature, and, and the reason he says you shouldn't do that is because, Paul says, he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. What's the condemnation of the devil? It's what we read in Isaiah 14, where Satan fell because of pride. You put a young, immature <clears throat> man in the, in the role of pastor or elder, and it's possible for him to fall because of the sin of pride. Well... You don't have to be <clears throat> a high achiever to, um, to have the problem with pride. You don't have to be a gold medal winner. You don't have to be the valedictorian. You don't have to be a, a successful business tycoon. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter uh, 26 and verse 16. I told you we would get there. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. You can be a sluggard. You can be a lazy bum and still have a heart that's filled with pride. To be wiser in your own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Well, what if you are the gold medal winner? What if you are the valedictorian? What if you are successful in business? What if God has blessed you with accomplishments and achievements and success? Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27 just the, uh, over a page and, and verse 2. Let another praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Back home where I come from, we call that tooting your own horn. <laughs> you don't have to toot your own horn, okay? If God has blessed you with victories and accomplishments and achievements, let another praise you, not your own mouth. Let a stranger and not your own lips. Well, why is this important? Why is it important for us to understand the danger of the sin of pride and the virtue of humility that God wants us to walk in? Humility is the enemy of pride, and pride is the enemy of humility. I don't know of any other sin that has done as much destruction as the sin of pride. Pride has, <clears throat> pride has ruined nations. 
Pride has split churches. Pride has held back God's hand of revival and favor. Pride has destroyed marriages. Uh, it is so important for us to guard our hearts against the sin of pride. Let me share with you a couple of reasons why it's so important. One is, let's look at it from God's perspective. What is God's perspective of pride? Well, because God's perspective, by the way, let me just chase that rabbit for a minute. God's perspective on anything should be our perspective, right? God's perspective on government should be our perspective. God's perspective on marriage should be our perspective. God's perspective on gender identity or sexual orientation or, or um, the church or marriage or the scriptures, anything that God has a perspective on, as Christ followers, that should be our perspective as well. So what is God's perspective on pride? Well, the Bible says God hates pride. We've already seen God opposes pride and that God, uh, pride is an abomination. To God. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. And then He lists them. And number one on the list is haughty eyes, or some of your Bibles say a proud look. Number one on the list Six things that God hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And pride is number one on the list. In Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13, he says, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. I hate. We remember what we read in the New Testament, James chapter 4 verse 6, that God opposes the proud. God is against you. God is against me when my heart is filled with pride. God opposes. Some of your Bibles say God resists. We could say God stiff arms the proud. He hates the proud. He resists or opposes the proud. And then look in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 5. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Why should we care so much about guarding our hearts against pride? Because of God's perspective on pride. He hates the proud. He resists the proud. He, uh, the proud are an abomination to him. But also think this is important to understand these, these virtues, if you will, be, as we look at each of these, to see their fruit. What does the Bible say is the fruit of a proud heart? Well, in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 2, the Bible says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. Disgrace. What's the fruit of a proud heart? Disgrace, sooner or later, disgrace. In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 25, the Bible says, The Lord tears down the house of the proud. I don't know all that that means, but it doesn't sound too good, does it? God tears down the house of the pride, of the proud. Everything, everything that I've built up in making me the center of my universe God says, I'm going to knock that down. I'm going to tear that down. God tears down the house of the proud. And then the next chapter over in, in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. In chapter 18 and verse 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. So what comes when my heart is filled with proud or pride? What can I expect? I can expect disgrace and I can expect destruction. It is severe and it is final. What about humility? What is the fruit of humility and the humble life? Well, the Bible says in um, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, that we read, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. 
The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 33, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Honor. What comes to the one who walks in humility? Honor and wisdom. In chapter 22 of Proverbs and verse 4, The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Do you see the contrast? Disgrace and destruction or wisdom, honor, riches, and life. You see the importance of these two? And how we should guard our hearts against pride and how we should walk in humility. A third reason this is so important is because of the command. We're commanded to be humble. Um, We saw those verses in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. But I would also draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called with all Humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. We are commanded to walk in humility. In James chapter 4, we we read verse 6. We did not read verse 10, but verse 10 is a command. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. We're commanded in the New Testament to walk in humility, to humble ourselves. 1 Peter chapter 5 Verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Same thing that James said. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. It's an imperative in the Greek. Humble yourself. It is a command. It's important because God commands us to walk in humility. Well, let me ask you a question. What does that look like? What does it look like for us to walk in pride? And what does it look like for us to walk in humility? I want us to think about some of those characteristics this morning, if we could. The first character, and there's so many more than we could look at. And when you just do a, a, a concordance search, if you will, through Proverbs on pride and proud and humility and humble, there's much more there than we're going to have time to unpack today. So I would commend that study to you. And I think some of the application questions today in the program give you the opportunity to to dig into that a little deeper. But one characteristic or one way that pride can be put on display is through a person's words. Listen to the way a person talks. Listen to the way you talk. And see if there is a manifestation of pride. This is my observation. This is not inerrant, inspired scripture. This is just my pastoral observation that it seems like pride is demonstrated more in a person's words and humility is demonstrated more in a person's actions. That's not always the case, but just a general observation, I have found that to be true. You can identify a proud person through their speech. You can identify a humble person by watching their actions. Both of them come from an attitude of the heart, but pride seems to manifest itself through our words and humility through our actions. In Psalm chapter 12, verse 3, it says that the tongue makes great boasts. How does pride put itself on display? Through the tongue, through making great boasts. And so we have to be careful that our Our speech is not filled with pride and arrogance. Another way it's put on display, not just through our our words, but also through our approach to the Scriptures. Through our approach to the Scriptures. Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. And so, listen, if you are tasked with the responsibility of standing behind the sacred desk and preaching to God's people, and you get up and you decide you're going to preach things like pop psychology or cultural events or motivational pep talks 
or book reviews or historical analysis or social commentary or op-ed pieces or anything other than the Word of God, the Bible says you are a proud man. People don't want to come and hear what some celebrity says or what some uh, poll is saying. They want to know, does God have a word for me? And so we open the Scriptures. And if anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of uh, Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit. But notice that, that it's not just true of the preacher's approach to the Scripture, but it's true of our approach to the Scripture as well. Look at that verse again. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as a Christ follower, I must submit my heart, my mind, my life, my will, my agenda, my ambition to the authority of the Scripture. And if I don't, it's because there's pride in, in my life. I told a pastor this week in a conversation that I had with him that I believe Christians are becoming theoretical inerrantists. What does that mean? That means we say we believe the Bible is the Word of God, but when it comes time to submit my life to the authority of it and to obey it and do what it says, not so much. Theoretical inerrantists. We must, this, this verse says, agree with the Scripture, both in our minds and our behavior. The Bible is the authority for what we believe and how we behave. It's the authority for our doctrine and for our demeanor. The problem with most of us is we don't want anybody telling us what to do, do we? And that includes the Word of God. <clears throat> my, wa- my wife says, she's here today, my wife says this about me. She says, you don't even want to stop for, for directions. You don't even stop at a gas station and get directions. And, and you know what? That's probably true. I, I just kind of rather figure it out myself, you know? Now, I have to admit that if that were somebody else, that'd be a form of pride. But... Uh, um, <laughs> But we don't want anybody telling us what to do, do we? And so we have to come to the Scriptures and bow our hearts and bow our wills to the authority of the Word of God. And if we don't, it's because our hearts are filled with pride. Can I show you another way that pride puts itself on display? And that is through a lack of prayer. All right, well, maybe now we've gone to meddling a little bit. But let me just say that my lack of prayer is bad, but it's only an indication of a deeper problem. And the deeper problem is the pride in my heart. Why don't I pray more than I, than I do pray? It's not that I don't believe in prayer. I do believe in prayer. It's just that, you know, for this situation, I got it. I can handle it. I don't need God here. I can, I can muddle my way through this on my own. We're confident that we can handle things ourselves and our prayerlessness reveals our pride. Turn to Proverbs 13. Let me show you something else. Our, our, our strife and our arguing is a manifestation of our pride. Our strife and our arguing. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10. By insolence comes nothing. If you don't mind writing in your Bibles, circle that word nothing. By insolence comes nothing but strife. What does the word insolence mean? Well, some of your Bibles translate, some of your English Bibles translate it pride or arrogance. By pride comes nothing but strife. By arrogance comes nothing but strife. By insolence comes nothing but strife. That's true in our homes. Is there arguing in your home? Is there strife in your home? Where do those, where do those arguments come from? It comes from insolence. It comes from pride. By insolence comes nothing but strife. If you see strife, if you see arguing, then you can rest assured somewhere, if you peel back the layers, you're going to find pride at work. The same thing is true in our churches. Church spats, church splits, church fights, church strife are because our hearts are filled with with pride. Let me show you one other, well, let me show you two other ways that, that pride puts itself on display. And one, one is through ingratitude. Ungratefulness. If I'm not grateful, it's because I figure I earned this or I'm entitled to it. Let me show you an example of this. Look at, 
Look at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Hezekiah is the king of Judah, and he gets sick. Well, let's just read it. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 24. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him and gave him a sign. Look at verse 25. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit, or did not give thanks, we could say. He did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. A heart that is filled with pride will display itself through an ungrateful heart. Now you say, well, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. You know, gratitude is something that can't just be felt or experienced. It has to be expressed, right? We, we call it Thanksgiving, don't we? Think about your, your week this past week. Are there things that you deliberately, intentionally have told the Lord, thank you for this? Are there things that you've gone to somebody else and said to them, you know what, I just want to thank you for fill in the blank. Do you have a grateful heart? Is, is, is appreciation and gratitude something that you express? If not, it could be because our hearts are filled with pride. One other display of how pride can, can manifest itself, and that is through what I would call mocking condescension. Mocking condescension. Look in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 24. Proverbs 21, verse 24. And the, the writer here puts this in quotes. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. Scoffer. What, who's a scoffer? <clears throat> a scoffer is one that's putting down others, mocking others, speaking to others in a condescending way. And that mocking condescension, that scoffing, is the name of the arrogant, the name of the haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. In um, chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34, the Bible says, Toward the scorners he is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. Do you see in this Hebrew parallelism how they'll put a couplet together and many times use it as a contrast? So you have the scornful and you have the humble. In other words, you have the proud and you have the humble. Toward the scorners, he is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. You say, well, listen, can't you take a joke? I was just, I was just being funny. Is that true? Or is your humorous insult... Actually, a way for your pride to kind of put itself on display. Are you known for mocking condescension in your humor and in your speech? Well, that's what pride looks like. But what does humility look like? That's what we really want to be is, is men and women of humility. We want to walk humbly with our God. We want to treat each other in humility and live that kind of life. We want to walk worthy of the manner with which we've been called with all humility, Paul said. So what does that look like? Let me just share a couple of things with you. One is, I think when we're humble, we have a keen awareness of our sinfulness. The Apostle Paul was the greatest Christian who ever lived. He wrote, uh, other than Luke, he wrote most of the New Testament. <laughs> More books in the Bible than, than we have from any other author come from the pen of the Apostle Paul. He was a church planter. He was a theologian. He was... Uh, ultimately a martyr. You know what Paul said about himself? He said, you know, I am the chief of, what did he say? Sinners. The greatest Christian who ever lived, he said, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. He had such a keen awareness of his sin. And um, he also was so careful to point praise to the Lord. And looking at the fruit of his ministry, he said, you know what? I planted, 
Apollos watered, but it was God. It was God who gave the increase, he said. Now, most of us, looking at the things the Apostle Paul accomplished, we'd be updating our LinkedIn profile, wouldn't we? We'd be updating our resume. We'd want everybody to know of, of these accomplishments. He said, you know what? I, I planted and Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. I think when humility is on display, it will look like a dependence on God. Jeremiah said, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might in in chapter 9, verse 23. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord um, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And so... We, we, are, we are dependent on God for everything. If you're a wise, intelligent person, that intelligence comes from the Lord. If you're a strong, athletic type, that ability comes from the Lord. If you are uh, wealthy and God has blessed you materially, it is God who gives the ability to make wealth. And so that dependence on God for everything is a manifest, manifestation of our humility. When we give glory to God rather than trying to get the credit for ourselves. The psalmist said in Psalm 115 verse 1, Not to us, O God, not to us, but to your name give glory. That's a mark of humility. When when we respond, we've already seen this a little bit, but when we respond in submission and authority to to God's word, Uh, it's a demonstration. When we don't, it's a demonstration of pride. And when we do, it's a demonstration of humility. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and look at this, trembles at my word. The humble and contrite man or woman is one who comes to the word of God and submits his or her heart, mind, will, ambition, and agenda to what the scriptures say. Prayerfulness. If, if prayerlessness is pride on display, prayerfulness is humility. On display. Serving God in any capacity. <clears throat> you know, here at Grace, you know, I'm, I'm only interested in those, those service positions, those ministry positions that are high profile, where everybody can see. The ones that are behind the scenes, the, one that are thank, the ones that are thankless, the ones that, that nobody really knows about, I, I'm not interested in those. The ones that are dirty and messy, uh, I'm not so interested in those. I want the ones that will bring prominence. But having a servant's heart in any capacity shows that I understand my place in the body of Christ. And really, folks, everybody is somebody in the body of Christ, right? We need elbows and we need eyes. We need big toes. We need ears. We need mouths. We need kneecaps. We need the entire body of Christ functioning as God has called us to serve. And so your place of service is not insignificant if you are doing it for the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom through this church. So serving God in any capacity, regardless of how menial, we might say, it is, is humility on display. Did you know that you can display humility when you celebrate the advancements or victories or achievements of others? Do you resent it when somebody else gets the applause of men and you don't? Somebody else gets the credit for a project. Even if you had a hand in it, they get the credit. You find resentment rising up in you. You know where that resentment comes from? From a heart of pride. Humility is the one that can applaud the achievements and the accomplishments and the victories of others. We've talked about it a little bit, but humility means not being a show-off. Right? Whether it's our appearance or even our devotion. Jesus warned against um, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. Do you see how spiritual I am? You see what time I get up to have my quiet time? Do you see how many verses I've memorized? Do you see? Do you see? Do you see? Beware of practicing your righteousness before men. I want to be a man of humility. I want to walk humbly with God. 
how can we grow in our humility? Could I share some application thoughts and then close my Bible and sit down? You say, yes, please. Okay, let me share a few practical applications with you. First of all, I would say that the path of humility begins with the new birth. When a man or a woman or a boy or a girl will come to Christ in humble repentance of their sin and put their faith in the Lord Jesus, that's where humility begins. But as I think about as a Christian now, as a Christ follower, how can I grow in my humility? One way, I think, is to spend time intentionally, deliberately meditating on the attributes of God. When I see how great and grand and glorious He is, I realize what I really am. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. He is everything. And so by meditating on the attributes of God, it can be a humbling experience. It can be an uh, exhilarating experience. Seeing and savoring the supremacy of of God in all things. I think deliberately and intent another one is to deliberately and intentionally give thanks. To have a grateful heart. To to maybe write a note to somebody totally out of the blue and just thank them for something they've done or something they are in your life. To pick up the phone and call somebody and say, I was just thinking about you. And I just wanted to say how much I appreciate you. Are you that kind of encourager? Could you this week think of folks that you could express thanks to in a very tangible way and walk in humility that way? Are there opportunities for you to serve someone through the ministry of grace or through the relationships that you have? Could you be one this week that in a figurative way washes one another's feet? Could you be a servant Kind of hard to be proud when you have a towel around your waist and you have a water basin and you're washing somebody's feet, right? Is there somebody you could serve this week? Somebody has a need that you could meet? Some of you, God is intentionally taking through some hard providences right now. And one of the reasons may be to bring you to humility, to humble you. We have to embrace those hard providences that God allows us to to go through. In in Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 10, God says, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. Sometimes God takes us through suffering, through hard providences, through difficulty. Humility will allow us to embrace that and not resist that. If I'm being humble, I'm going to let others speak into my life. Others that are more mature, it may be parents, it may be pastors, it may be older men, older women in this church that because of their wisdom and experience can speak into my life. Even if that word comes as a word of rebuke, humility will embrace that. Humility will receive that. God even, God even allows, in his sovereignty, allows the attack of the enemy to be a means that he uses to create uh, humility in our lives. This is really interesting to me. Do you remember when Paul talked about that thorn in the flesh that he was given? We don't really know what it was. It could have been poor eyesight. It could have been a speech impediment. It could have been some physical ailment. We don't really know what it was. He doesn't tell us what it is. It's probably good to us not spend too much time speculating. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me from becoming conceit, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, watch this, to keep me from becoming conceited. He begins and ends that verse with that. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, I get this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to keep me from becoming conceited. He says it twice in one verse. Why do you think God allowed that in his life? Probably to keep him from becoming conceited, right? 
as a means in God's sovereignty to humble us. Well, I'll close with this. In my life, in my experience, in my walk with the Lord, one of the greatest ways that God has used to bring humility or, or to at least try to bring humility in my life is for me to contemplate the cross. When you come to the cross and you see what Jesus is doing and who he's doing it for, it is such a humbling thing. Isaac Watts said, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Some of you know who George Beverly Shea is. He was the soloist for years and years and years for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. So when Dr. Graham would do these stadium crusades, Cliff Barrows would lead the choir and lead the congregational singing. And it was Bev Shea, George Beverly Shea, that would stand and sing a solo before Billy Graham came to preach. There was an event one time. It was not a stadium evangelistic crusade. It was more of a civic event with the community at large and with civic leaders on the platform. And George Beverly Shea had been invited to sing How Great Thou Art, the song that we sang earlier today. And I know this story because somebody who was sitting on the platform relayed these events to me. This was not something that happened publicly. It was happen happening quietly and discreetly. Some, uh, one of the organizers of the event came up and, and almost whispered to George Beverly Shea, uh, Mr. Shea, we, we have some folks in the audience that are not of Christian persuasion. We have some Jewish people in the audience and people from other religions and people that aren't religious. And So when you sing today, when you sing How Great Thou Art, if you wouldn't mind, just so we don't offend anybody, if you would just leave out the third verse, the third verse that says, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul. Uh, and, and so Mr. Shea heard that request and very quietly, without any kind of fanfare, he said, you know what? He said, I don't really have to sing today. I'd rather not leave that verse out, and it's, it's certainly appropriate for me not to participate today. And the organizer kind of looked at him and said, oh, uh, okay, you can go ahead and sing the third verse. <laughs> but when the cross becomes that important to us, it puts humility on display, doesn't it? It wasn't about him being in front of civic leaders and a large audience and getting to put his talents on display. It's about putting the cross on display, that others would see Jesus. That's how we walk in humility, that instead of folks seeing me, we point them to the cross, we point them to the Savior. And the Bible says that when we do that, God gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize and confess that our hearts are so steeped in pride and selfishness and egotism. We confess that today. We repent of that today. God, you know my heart, the hearts of so many here today who desire to walk humbly with you, to be men and women of humility that point people to Jesus and not to ourselves. Help us, Lord, to grow in our humility. Help us to pull the weeds of pride from our hearts on a continual basis that others might see Jesus in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.